When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Johann Schmiegel, you've got the world's highest IQ. Yes, 247. Wow. Did you know that thanks to Salesforce with Einstein AI, everyone's smarter? Now everyone's an Einstein, just like you. But I'm the smartest. Not anymore. With connected data and trusted AI, everyone can give customers experiences they've only dreamed of. Oh, look, here's a few Einsteins now. Hey, hi. Hola, amigo. Everyone's an Einstein? It's okay, Johan. Let it happen. The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Now, from our nation's capital... This is Bloomberg Sound On. There's been a tremendous economic slowdown in China. Members of Congress visiting Taiwan is entirely in line uh, with our one, uh, our longstanding One China uh, policy. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from DC's top names. The Department of Justice has complete, complete independence. If you can't win Erie County, you can't win Pennsylvania. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Well, I've got a number of updates for you regarding the legal pressure rising around former President Donald Trump. Uh, A few stories crossing today. Uh, Big news for Rudy Giuliani, Senator Lindsey Graham. But this just crossed the Bloomberg terminal uh, right before we started this show. The Justice Department opposes the release of the affidavit in the Trump search, in the search of the Mar-a-Lago estate down in Florida. That has significant implications as we see not only media, but obviously lawmakers want information on what was found. What, we, what they were searching for uh, and everything that happened at Mar-a-Lago. On the show, I'm Jack Fitzpatrick standing in today for Joe Matthew. We're going to have Congressman Raja Krishn- Krishnamurthy come on and talk to us. He's a member of the Intelligence Committee in the House, uh, a very key person in these conversations. John Barrett, law professor from St. John's University, is going to help us sift through the legal implications of everything in the news today. And of course, we've got Bloomberg Politics contributors Rick Davis and Jeannie Sheehan. And Zeno. Big news day. We've got a case of the Mondays, if that means a ton of news. Uh, first, we have to get to this headline on the Bloomberg terminal that the Justice Department opposes the release of the affidavit in the search of Mar-a-Lago. Let's go to our Bloomberg politics contributors, Rick Davis and Jeannie Sheehan-Zeno, to start the show. Uh, guys, I- I'm curious what your initial reaction is. Rick, do we know yet why oppose? It. This was something, uh, there's a request from the media to get more information uh, about this. What do we know now about why the Justice Department would oppose uh, the release of that affidavit? 
Well, I think the information that's incorporated in the affidavit is uh, much more to um, what is uh, the sources of the uh, investigation. Uh, you could you know, extrapolate pretty easily as to who they're talking to and what they're uh, saying. And, 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 and as we know, for instance, you know, one of the things that have been uh, speculated within Trump organization itself is, you know, do we have a mole? Who's the mole? Who's been telling them what's going on inside of Mar-a-Lago? And so there, there might be information incorporated in those documents that would lead the, the Trump people to, to, to maybe potentially uh, identify someone who they worry is cooperating with the authorities. Um, and it also pertains to the larger investigation. I mean, right now, we don't know actually if there is a potential charge against the president. Maybe that the J DOJ was satisfied to get the documents back and under lock and key by the federal government, but uh, it may be that this is part of a larger investigation into other issues. The affidavit may actually indicate that, which would then uh, potentially uh, impact the investigation itself. So, Jeannie, uh, walk us through here, uh, as Rick just touched on, the possibility that this may speak to the breadth of the investigation. What we had heard uh, about the Mar-a-Lago raid was that this was part of an attempt to find possible violations of the Espionage Act, among other uh, allegations. Uh, we had heard, uh, according to the documents that came out, some of, some of those documents were marked with the highest level of secrecy, the top secret, sensitive, compartmented information. Uh, classification. If they are concerned about um, showing their hand, the Justice Department, what does this tell us about the breadth of the investigation that they are continuing, Jeannie? You know, I don't think it's a surprise that the department opposes releasing this affidavit. You know, the release of the search warrant and the receipt, those were things that Donald Trump and his lawyers had access to. And they do give us important information, as we saw late last week. But to unre unleash or, un you know, release rather the affidavit that accompanied it, these were things that Trump and his lawyers do not have access to. And they it would be highly unusual for a federal judge to sign off on something like that because it would show us information that that may reveal things like sources. It may reveal the extent of an ongoing investigation. It may reveal, you know, top secret security information. These are things, again, that a judge had to sign off on, but to release them to the press and release them publicly, highly unusual in a case like this. I don't, you know, I would just be cautioning against reading something into the fact that the department is opposing this. To me, it is standard practice in an investigation like this for them to oppose the release of any of these documents. And if we go back to what Merrick Garland said late last week, he said the search warrant and the receipt, they don't usually request those be unsealed, but given it was a former president, president and the amount of public interest, they asked for that to be unsealed. This is a completely different ballgame, and I'm not surprised that they have said that they won't take this step. Jeannie, so it sounds like you aren't necessarily thinking this is good news for former President Trump then. No, I, I don't think we can read into this either good or bad news for former President Trump. So much of this remains things that we are speculating about but don't actually know. To start off with, we don't know who the focus of this investigation is. We don't know, for instance, if the department is even going to pursue legal charges. They could very well have taken those 11 boxes and they 
they could say we've gotten back what the what the government what the national archives needed we're not going to pursue this any further so i i wouldn't you know begin to speculate on what this says about where he is legally um you know the one piece of news that we got out today in addition to this breaking news on this was the fact that the one of trump's attorneys did apparently sign a declaration that nothing else was being held at Mar-a-Lago that the government was asking for. That presents a risk for the person who signs it potentially, you know, maybe for Trump himself if he lied to the attorney. But, you know, again, these are things I don't think we can extrapolate much further without hearing from the Justice Department as to who is targeted and what indeed any charges might be, if any. Now, just for a a little more context, I'm reading the initial uh, coverage of this on the Washington Post that says media outlets have asked the judge to unseal this document, which would offer more detail about the FBI's decision to make this search of Mar-a-Lago. Obviously, aside from members of the media, there's a lot of interest in getting more detail on what they found and the reasoning for it. Uh, There's been a request from members of the Senate Intelligence Committee asking for the documents they found. Rick, does this have any implications for congressional oversight, or does this appear to be limited to not putting this kind of document? document out to the broader public. Yeah, I don't think the the Hill can stay out of a good controversy like this. I mean, in fact, you know, I would say just from a political perspective, I thought the Democrats stepped all over the DOJ today. I mean, you know, the fact that Adam Schiff and Carol Maloney, you know, co-head of the uh, Intelligence Committee in the House, um, you know, the, they sent a letter to uh, uh, the National uh, Intelligence Director saying that, you know, they want to they want to investigate what kind of damage might have been done. Well, you know, if, if they had just stayed quiet, the only story would have been out there, you know, is the one we're talking about. And, you know, they 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 they, they seem to always want to get into the narrative. So, yes, I think you're, we're going to just see all kinds of people getting involved in this, not just media outlets asking for uh, more information, which is their job, uh, but to uh, Congress wondering what kind of oversight uh, uh, they need to be putting on uh, these agencies whose job it is is to protect these secrets. Uh, and they didn't do a very good job of protecting them if they've been sitting right. down in Mar-a-Lago for over a year. Right. So we're going to come back to some of these issues, especially because later on in the show we're going to have John Barrett, a, a law, for, law professor at St. John's University, help us uh, walk through the, the implications of all of this. Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to easily manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford faces any challenge to deliver innovative, customizable solutions that your industry and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Johann Schmiegel, you've got the world's highest IQ. Yes, 247. Wow. Did you know that thanks to Salesforce with Einstein AI, everyone's smarter? Now everyone's an Einstein, just like you. But I'm the smartest. Not anymore. With connected data and trusted AI, everyone can give customers experiences they've only dreamed of. Oh, look, here's a few Einsteins now. Hey, hi. Hola, amigo. Everyone's an Einstein? It's okay, Johan. Let it happen. The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. 
But I also want to touch on another major story today, uh, the pushback from China, further pushback from China uh, to another congressional delegation visiting Taiwan. Uh, China has uh, conducted more military activity around Taiwan uh, following another visit. This is not Speaker Pelosi's visit, but uh, another congressional delegation visit to Taiwan led by Senator Ed Markey. Uh, And now we're bringing on Congressman Raja Krishnamurthy, Democrat from Illinois, to uh, walk us through the the implications. Congressman, he he joined uh, Speaker Pelosi on her last trip. Congressman, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thanks so much for having me. So big question on my mind as we see China's military conducting patrols around Taiwan uh, in response to this latest congressional delegation visit to Taiwan uh, is is what is the correct response, if any, from the U.S. in this situation? I think we should continue to approach the situation calmly. Uh, We should reiterate our support of the one China policy, calm and stability across the Taiwan's straits. And we want Taiwan and the People's Republic of China to resolve their differences peacefully. Uh, We also have an obligation under the Taiwan Relations Act to help support the defense of Taiwan against any aggression. And so I think this delegation, like other delegations, is just a normal part of our relationship and necessary for uh, carrying out our legal responsibilities. And when you mention our responsibilities, the U.S.'s aid to Taiwan uh, in the context of defense, should we be looking for further actions? Is the ratcheting up of tensions on China's part something that merits a response, whether in uh, spending bills, the defense authorization bill? How does that have an effect, uh, especially in that uh, what you mentioned about uh, our defense support for Taiwan? Well, I think that uh, we have to continue to evaluate what our friends' needs are in Taiwan. Uh, They need to defend themselves, and so uh, to the extent that they are reorienting their focus uh, on a a constant basis uh, with regard to the threats that they face, and they need our further assistance, then we need to furnish that. All that being said, we wish for peace and stability in the region. Uh, We want Taiwan and the People's Republic of China to uh, resolve their differences peacefully. But if the cost of avoiding these types of provocations by the PRC is ceding control of Taiwan or ceding control of our travel schedules in Congress, I don't think that's a price that we will pay. Now, I, I know President Biden has said the military didn't necessarily think Speaker Pelosi's visit was a good idea. It, it, does the left hand not know what the right hand is doing here in, in terms of the U.S. government's uh, ability to manage this? Have, have lawmakers in any way undermined the administration's position? Well, I think that, uh, as you know, the executive branch and the legislative branch are uh, separate but equal branches of government. And quite frankly, the uh, legislative branch is called upon to authorize funding for, uh, for instance, the defense of Taiwan, as well as other programs related to Taiwan. And so I think that having a firsthand account of how the money that we've already appropriated has been spent, as well as uh, what the needs are of our friends uh, going forward is really important. And I think that you know, congressional visits are just a normal part of uh, 
relationships between friends. How, speaking of sort of taking the temperature of, of U.S. policies, visiting to determine uh, what policies should change or not, how, how does all of this play into uh, the considerations of potentially lifting tariffs on China? Well, I think that's a, a separate issue in the sense that um, we constantly want to resolve our differences uh, with other countries with regard to trade, to the extent that the PRC continues to use forced labor or to use um, Uyghurs whom they put into concentration camps to produce goods that are sold to the United States or that they dump goods at below cost to destroy our industries here um, and, and they haven't ceased doing it, that's, that's going to continue to be an impediment for lowering tariffs. Um, and so I think that's a separate issue from Taiwan altogether. Okay. Uh, a little more directly on Taiwan. I, I know Taiwanese officials spoke supportively of the CHIPS semiconductor bill that, uh, that has made it through both chambers. Uh, how, how does that legislation factor into the congressional relationship with Taiwan? For example, does, does that uh, interest in Taiwan in that bill make it any more important to strengthen t- uh, ties with Taiwan? Oh, absolutely. Um, that particular bill, which became a law, has excited a lot of our friends and partners and allies in the region, whether it's Japan, Korea, Taiwan, uh, Singapore, Malaysia. And so they're all looking to see how can they manufacture more semiconductor chips in the United States? How can they potentially move production of some of those chips, which might, might happen even in the PRC, to the U.S., which they view as a more stable environment? for doing business. And so um, part of our uh, visit centered on uh, basically putting on our sales caps and trying to uh, get them, uh, get our partners to invest more in the U.S. I'm pleased to say that the Taiwanese are going to invest $20 billion in setting up manufacturing facilities for chips in the U.S., and we're looking for more. Right. Now, I, I, I want to ask a little broadly, just to put all of this in context, uh, there have been past congressional delegation visits. There, lawmakers went just last summer, I know. Uh, China previously did not react nearly as forcefully uh, in the past as they did uh, when Speaker Pelosi and you and other lawmakers went. What is your explanation for the ratcheting up of tensions? Why now? A large part of this has to do with the internal domestic pressures that Chairman Xi is facing because of a botched response to COVID-19. There's been a tremendous economic slowdown in China. And as a consequence, I think that they're using our visit or they used our visit as a pretext for deflecting attention from their domestic pressures. And so um, I continue to submit that uh, they were going to use whatever visit was happening around the time that they needed such a pretext uh, for um, conducting those drills and conducting those live fire exercises. But I think, as I said before, uh, those types of provocations are rather reckless because miscalculation can happen. And, um, and then uh, things can kind of escalate beyond their control. 
Well, in, in with that in mind, are there offroads that the U.S. can offer China to to I guess uh, release some of the pressure if if the Chinese government is doing this almost as a distraction from domestic uh, issues? Does that give the U.S. any options? I think that we should absolutely hold out the olive branch, even at the same time that we uh, we say that these provocations. Um, are reckless and we aid Taiwan in its self-defense. The olive branch has to be cooperation on any number of common global challenges, whether it's climate change or even the economic uplift of people you know, throughout the world. Uh, we are in a fraught time. We need the best minds, the best um, technologies, um, and we need to harness the talents of people worldwide to tackle these challenges. And in fact, in light of the Inflation Reduction Act, which we passed and um, is going to be signed into law shortly, uh, we in the United States have taken a major step toward investing in fighting climate change. And I think that hopefully is an icebreaker for uh you know, restarting conversations with the PRC and others. Right. Uh, Congressman, real quick before you go, since you're on the Intelligence Committee, uh, when we see in the news that some of the uh, the documents retrieved from Mar-a-Lago by the FBI that were held by former President Trump were marked top secret, sensitive compartmented information, uh, w- can you put that in context for us? Uh, w- w- what, how, how serious does that sound to you? It's very serious. The most precious, the most vital, the most exquisite intelligence in our possession is usually marked TSSCI. Um, and I think that uh, just so your listeners understand, you know, we as members of the Intelligence Committee view these types of documents every day, but we right. do so in a bunker underneath the Capitol right. with people watching us over our shoulders. Uh, with armed guards standing outside the room, and they take an inventory of all the documents that they showed us. So literally they they check off each document that they hand to us, and they check off each document returned. These documents can be anything from blueprints of weapon systems to important intelligence we've gathered on foreign leaders to information about threats that are gathering on the horizon for which we have to prepare. Um, so this is extremely important information. Right. Thank you, Congressman. Uh, That's Congressman Raja Krishnamurthy, Democrat from Illinois, uh, on some of the big news of the day on on, uh, former President Trump's legal issues, uh, as well as on the tensions with China over Taiwan, which is an issue I I want to ask the panel about. Let's bring back Bloomberg Politics contributors Rick Davis and Jeannie Shianzano. Uh, Guys, I thought there were some interesting points by the congressman there. Rick, do you agree or disagree with the assessment that a lot of this tension, the supposedly over visits by members of Congress to Taiwan, is actually a, a cover by the Chinese government f- to distract from domestic struggles in China. What do you make of that? Yeah, I think we have to be cautious with uh, Representative Chris Morthy's comments there, because uh, it's not like if COVID goes away and the economy starts to recover, that somehow we're going to return to some kind of old normal uh, with the PRC. They have been making very, very strong threats to the United States and our allies uh, long before COVID started. It's been a new normal for them to actually be more competitive 
in in the region and around the world uh, against U.S. interests. And they've formed these coalitions with Russia, not to find a way to expand their economy and cure COVID, but to create uh, security regimes in opposition to our interests around the world. So I, I think we should not underestimate the ambitions of the communist Chinese uh, to keep us out of their backyard and thwart our abilities in our own hemisphere. So I, I do think that's a, a, a somewhat dangerous approach to take with them because this is not a casual uh, thing that Chi is under these stresses because of domestic problems. He has those, no doubt about it, but I don't think they weigh into his considerations of hegemony in the region. So then, Rick, what do you make of the congressman's mention of olive branches, especially working with them on climate policy? Uh, is that a legitimate option? Do we have many olive branches in the U.S. to, to reach out to China with? I think this is the sophistication of statecraft that the United States has been good at in the past and needs to be better at in the future, and that is to engage on things we can engage on and create uh, conversations around issues. Hopefully, climate would be one of them where we are not in conflict, but that not to diminish the impact that we have as the greatest country for good in the world to try and put pressure on them for things like human rights and economic abuses around the world. So uh, I I do believe that it's smart to keep those uh, uh, conversations open, but we cannot look the other way when China transgresses. So, Jeannie, you heard the congressman say that China isn't going to be put in front of the in charge of the congressional uh, travel schedule. I, I want to ask you, though, is there any sense in which lawmakers are, if not grandstanding, then in any way undermining the administration's position? Because there is a bit of a division even among Democrats on whether these uh, these trips are a good idea. You know, there is. And it's such an important question, because even with Nancy Pelosi's trip, the question was not whether she had the right to go. She had an invitation. She had an absolute right to go. From my mind, the question was strategic. What was she going to get out of that visit? And I would ask the same question about these lawmakers and not personally, of course, I mean, vis-a-vis the United States policy, vis-a-vis China and Taiwan. This is a very precarious point. And, and moment in U.S.-China relations. We all know that, not to mention what is going on in Ukraine. And so, you know, I do think there is a real question to be asked about these visits. What is the benefit of them to the United States when it comes to our relationships with China. And this is a very precarious time in China. You know, looking at some of the data that Bloomberg was just releasing this morning, youth unemployment climbing to almost 20%. We're seeing protests around the country. Xi wanted to go into this meeting in this fall with, you know, some kind of of calm. He's not going to get that. And let's not forget... He wants to take Taiwan. He's promised to. So it puts us in a position of having to deal with that reality. Right. Rick Davis, Jeannie Shianzano, thank you for responding to the breaking news today. We'll talk a little later. Coming up, we're going to talk to John Barrett, a law professor at St. John's University, over all the legal issues we've discussed today. I'm Jack Fitzpatrick. This is Bloomberg. 
Broadcasting live from our nation's capital, Bloomberg 99.1, to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Boston, Bloomberg 1061, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew. We've got a lot to sort through regarding the rejection or or the Justice Department seeking to reject requests to release the affidavit behind the search of Mar-a-Lago. We have to learn quite a bit more about the uh, the legislation around that. The uh, the. Uh, what Senator Paul aims to undo. Uh, a number of questions now uh, coming up for John Barrett, law professor at St. John's University. Espionage Act is the phrase I was looking for. I have a lot of questions on that, on affidavits, on search warrants, uh, and more for John Barrett, law professor at St. John's University, who I think can explain some of these key issues. Now, the first one, the big news uh, that just came out late this afternoon is is on the Justice Department asking a judge to keep sealed the affidavit that uh, underpinned the FBI's search of Mar-a-Lago. Professor, thank you for joining us. I'm curious, just right off the bat, how significant you think that position is? Is this a a major development, or is this standard that the Justice Department does not want that affidavit to get out? I think it's very standard. It's the investigative detail underneath the request for the warrant So it's basically the case of probable cause that the government made to the magistrate judge who then issued the warrant. It's the details of what surveillance information, what informant information, what prior course of dealings led the government to believe that there were classified documents in Mar-a-Lago. And that's all highly confidential and actively part of an investigation. It also, in this case, is likely to be highly classified. It's details of what classified documents are believed to be there, would be my guess. And you you just can't put that out in the public domain. So media asked the court to disclose it. The Justice Department, not surprisingly, said, no, we oppose that request. So let's talk about the the parts of this uh, developing story that are less standard. Uh, One, the search of Mar-a-Lago, and and as we understand, this was part of an attempt to find possible violations of the Espionage Act. Uh, Another key detail that has come out is that some of the documents found were marked with the highest level of secrecy, top secret, sensitive, compartmented information, SCI clearance. Uh, based on those two data points, h- how serious is that they're, what they're looking for? What, what can we tell based on those two points of information that we have at this point? Well, the Espionage Act contains many different provisions, so this is actually not a case about espionage, I believe. It's not a case accusing someone of being a spy. Um, It is a a case of highly classified information that belongs to the government that was in private hands, the hands of the former president. And especially up at the code word level, top secret SCI information, these are uh, secrets that the disclosure of which would cause exceptionally grave damage to the country. Uh, People who have had these kinds of clearances, as I have, know that this information is extremely sensitive. And so it does not belong outside of authorized hands. And that's why the government um, is investigating how it comes to be in Mar-a-Lago. And in the meantime, recovered it. 
Uh, how easy would it be to violate the Espionage Act, not through malice, not through attempting to violate it and trying to sneak documents out of the White House, but through uh, laziness in how you take care of documents or something along those lines? How easy would it be for a former president to accidentally violate that law? I can't speculate about a person who you know is a sleepwalker or does... <laughs> things with eyes closed, but uh, generally highly classified top secret SDI documents come with cover sheets, come with page markings, come with lots of red stripes and discernible labels. Um, You don't accidentally uh, put it in your pocket or put it in a packing box. Uh, And so it is at least gross carelessness, uh, but maybe intentional. However, it comes to be out of government control. It's gravely serious. And that's why the government took this action to ask for its return and then to inspect that everything had been returned and then got a representation reportedly from a Trump lawyer that everything had been returned. And then I'm sure got some kind of confidential informant report. No, actually, there is more stuff. And that led to the affidavit, which was a request to the judge, which led the judge to issue the search warrant, which indeed found top secret information in Mar-a-Lago. What would the – tell us a little bit about the process of declassifying these materials because there's been some attempt by Trump and people around him to say that he had a, a standing order to declassify materials that he, he took out with him. Is it possible at all? Is it, is it in any way feasible that some of these could have been declassified or even started the process of declassification but still have been marked top secret or, or is there really no confusion there about that? I think that's not a credible explanation. The classification system is an exercise of presidential power uh, by presidents from Reagan forward, including Trump. And Trump did not rescind the executive order that sets up the classified information system for executive branch information. So without formally rescinding that executive order, he can't, uh, on a kind of verbal basis, create some standing order. Plus, Classified information belongs to the executive branch, which is headed by Joe Biden. So whatever Mr. Trump, while president, might have wished or thought or considered doing, he lost all power to do that when he became the former president. And the classification system, top secret SCI, is today's executive branch system. That is the Biden administration. Right. Now, uh, on Congress, I, I know Senator Rand Paul just raised this. He wants the Espionage Act repealed. There have been criticisms of the breadth of the, the wording of that law and how it pertains to documents relating to national defense. In your opinion, is that law uh, written excessively broadly, or what can you tell us about uh, things that may be covered under that law that people might – not necessarily uh, nuclear codes – Right. Well, that category of information, national defense information, is classified by statute, by the Espionage Act, and it includes the most secret military dimensions of our nuclear defense posture, for instance. Um, So to sort of say, oh, this should all be in the clear, we shouldn't have classification, I think is is naive and not a serious position. Um, Could the statute be perhaps updated, perhaps amended? That's a different question, but it, it protects very vital information. 
All right, John Barrett, law professor at St. John's University. Thank you so much uh, for walking us through that. We'll have to talk about other legal issues regarding Rudy Giuliani and Lindsey Graham coming up next with Rick Davis and Jeannie Shianzano. I'm Jack Fitzpatrick. This is Bloomberg. Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to easily manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford faces any challenge to deliver innovative, customizable solutions that your industry and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Johann Schmiegel, you've got the world's highest IQ. Yes, 247. Wow. Did you know that thanks to Salesforce with Einstein AI, everyone's smarter? Now everyone's an Einstein, just like you. But I'm the smartest. Not anymore. With connected data and trusted AI, everyone can give customers experiences they've only dreamed of. Oh, look, here's a few Einsteins now. Hey, hi. Hola, amigo. Everyone's an Einstein? It's okay, Johan. Let it happen. The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On on Bloomberg Radio. The big breaking news late this afternoon, the Department of Justice opposes releasing the affidavit behind their search of Mar-a-Lago, the Florida resident of former President uh, Donald Trump. That is not the only news we've had today, though, on legal issues surrounding the former president. Aside from that and the conversation we had with John Barrett earlier uh, at St. John's University about the Espionage Act, there is the Georgia criminal case regarding potential election fraud uh, in the attempts to overturn that state's results in the 2020 presidential race. Two points for you. One, Senator Lindsey Graham was ordered today by a federal judge to comply with a subpoena and testify uh, in that case before a grand jury in Georgia. Uh, This would be focused on Senator Graham's call to the Secretary of State in Georgia, Brad Raffensperger, after the election. Raffensperger has said he felt Graham was urging him to find a way to throw out legitimately cast mail-in ballots. Second, Rudy Giuliani, former President Donald Trump's lawyer, is a target, not just a witness, but a target. In the Georgia criminal investigation, uh, he was informed, his legal team was informed of that today. He is scheduled to testify Wednesday. Uh, His lawyer has said Giuliani is going to claim attorney-client privilege on anything relating to his conversations with Trump. And, of course, after Giuliani had a heart procedure, there was some debate as to whether he would be able to uh, go down to Georgia to testify in that case. Here is what the judge, Fulton County Judge Robert McBurney said uh, about Giuliani's requests to uh, not testify, which were rejected. The medical professional said that Mr. Giuliani is not cleared for air travel, AIR. Um, John Madden drove all over the country in his big bus from stadium to stadium. So one thing we need to explore um, is whether Mr. Giuliani could get here without jeopardizing his recovery and his health. Um, on a train, on a bus, or 
Uber or whatever it would be, um, the focus seems to have been he's got to be on a plane. And New York is not close to Atlanta, but it's not traveling from Fairbanks. So, yes, John Madden, the former football coach and announcer, rode all over the country in a bus. I feel like we had a, a missed opportunity for a John McCain reference, so I've got to go to Rick Davis uh, on our Bloomberg Politics panel. Rick, uh, speaking of people who have traveled extensively by bus, we know now uh, Giuliani is going to be testifying in this criminal case. How how do things look for him, especially in light of the news today? How significant it is, is it that he's informed he's not just a witness, this is not just an interview, he is a, a target in that case? Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, when you are told you're a target, it means something in the investigation suggests you may have uh, violated the law, con- uh, committed a crime. Uh, this is this is a really significant development for, for Rudy Giuliani. It means that he may have criminal exposure in the Fulton County case, and and when you are uh, designated uh, as a uh, target, you really don't have much of an option. I mean, you know, you've got your uh, doctor saying you can't fly. And <clears throat> I think it was well within the rights of the Fulton County District Attorney's Office to say then hop a train, grab a bus, get an Uber. You're not the first guy who has to travel a ways to, to testify. They're taking this very seriously. They're not likely to delay. Time's running out for all these cases. Uh, and so I'm not surprised that they took a hardline stance. So obviously we are interested in the legal repercussions in this criminal case, uh, in the Espionage Act issue, which is a separate case. Uh, but also there's been all of this work in Congress in the January 6th uh, Select Committee. Jeannie, when you see that Rudy Giuliani is going to have to testify in this criminal case, uh, and, and Senator Lindsey Graham is too about his call with Brad Raffensperger, the Secretary of State, does this uh, clue lawmakers in? Should, should we assume that this will give the January 6th committee more to do as more information comes out in other cases? Yeah, as you're talking, Jack, I'm trying to figure out how much an Uber from New York City to <laughs> Georgia costs, because I guess the former mayor will be in one headed out there. Um, you know, look, Rudy Giuliani, he did what? He said about 65,000 underage voters, 2,500 felons, and 800 dead people voted in Georgia. All of those claims have been debunked. Today, we find out through his attorney that he is now a target of this investigation. And the real issue, I think, here, putting aside Rudy Giuliani, and he is facing some serious legal jeopardy potentially in this, is what does this portend for the former president? And you have many lawyers saying there's very difficult to uh, you know imagine that his attorney Giuliani is a target of the DA in this investigation and Trump is not so i think once again we see that Donald Trump at the center of an investigation in which he is not only a player or a witness or something along, along those lines but potentially a target and the ramifications are very serious and of course as you talk about January 6th you know they are coming back they're still interviewing they 
will be coming back in the fall. We imagine that they may, come, may be coming back with their with their co-chair. Liz Cheney no longer going to be sitting in the House if the polls are right come next year and very much focused on doing what they can in the next few months if potentially Republicans take over Congress to get their report out. You'd couple that with what's going on in New York and of course the FBI, FBI raid in Mar-a-Lago and these are really serious legal problems for the former president. Well, uh, Jeannie, you mentioned Liz Cheney, and tomorrow is a Tuesday, so we have got to at least check in on the elections coming up. That is the Wyoming House primary, the Republican primary. Uh, Congresswoman Liz Cheney, obviously a key role on the uh, January 6th committee, one of only two Republicans on it, faces Harriet Hageman, who is Trump's uh, chosen Republican candidate in that race. Uh, and, and as Jeannie said, if the polls are right, uh, she, Congresswoman Cheney is uh, is well behind Hageman. Uh, Rick, especially as uh, someone who's worked in Republican campaign politics, it, it, I mean, does Cheney have a chance or is she does she at this point know that she uh, is about to lose her primary? Yeah, I think that uh, there's been an expectation on uh, Liz Cheney's part that she wasn't going to run her primary to be reelected, but she was going to make a statement. And and when you look at the advertising that she's done, it, it doesn't even mention her opponent, Hageman. It mentions Donald Trump. Uh, and when you see her speeches and her public appearances, uh, she talks about the need to cleanse our democracy and keep Donald Trump from ever becoming president again and doesn't talk about what those issues are that are relevant to the people of Wyoming. And so she's made a choice a long time ago not to pursue the local agenda politically, but to pursue a national one. And in so much as letting the chips fall where they may, uh, that's where she is going into tomorrow's election, significantly an underdog. She'll probably overperform a little bit by Democrats voting in a Republican primary to support her. But outside of a negligible increase in her ballot, uh, she's she's certainly, by all the polls I've seen, likely to, to lose in a landslide. Well, I also want to touch on the Pennsylvania Senate race. We know who the candidates are there. The Republican is Mehmet Oz, Dr. Oz from TV, uh, and the Democrat is John Fetterman, the lieutenant governor. I want to play you the beginning of an ad that Oz put on, uh, online. I saw it on his Twitter account. Uh, this seemed to be the kind of thing you might expect from a, a super PAC that a candidate himself wouldn't necessarily want to uh, affiliate himself with. It's, it's quite the attack on John Fetterman. Uh, who had a stroke earlier this year. Here's the beginning of that uh, that ad by uh, Mehmet Oz. Now that John Fetterman claims to be recovering, let's pull back his hoodie and examine what's in his head. Looks like he has some screws loose. What's this? <coughs> Fetterman wants to release one-third of all prisoners. That's crazy! So he goes through a number of policy disagreements following up on uh, the implication that Fetterman has not actually recovered and, in the words of that as, ad, has some screws loose or is crazy. Uh, Jeannie, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if that is a winning ad. What do you make of that? 
You know, I'm not sure that it's winning. Um, you know, Fetterman, as you mentioned, just back on the campaign trail, um, he was talking in Erie over the weekend on his return about his health scare. And that is certainly a concern. I mean, he's got to be healthy for the rest of this campaign. Right. And he's got to show that what happened three months ago, he has recovered. Um, but you look at the polls, Real Clear has him up nine points. And I would just note, we're hearing today that the National Republican Senatorial Committee cancels $10 million worth of advertising this fall, including in Pennsylvania. So that bodes very, very badly for somebody like Oz. It's still going to be a tight race, but these polls and the fundraising numbers and the NRSC canceling that, that can be a really bad sign for Mehmet Oz as he seeks to yeah. take a seat that, you know, or retain a Republican seat that, um, you know, they really could have retained yeah. uh, maybe if Trump hadn't gotten in on this endorsement. Right before we close, lightning round, Rick Davis, do you think we're going to be talking about Congresswoman Sarah Palin? Uh, very well could wake up uh, uh, Wednesday morning after the uh, special election in Alaska with uh, Sarah Palin as a congressman and very well could have her finishing third. So um, we're going to wait and see. Unfortunately, the way they ballot, we're going to have to wait a while to find out. Could take a while with the ranked choice voting in Alaska. A lot to look forward to. Thanks again to Congressman Raja Krishnamurthy and John Barrett at St. John's University, as well as Rick Davis and Jeannie Sheehan-Zano. I'm Jack Fitzpatrick. This is Bloomberg. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Join global business leaders and investors at the Bloomberg Sustainable Business Summit, returning to Singapore on July 31st. Take part in solutions-driven discussions on how to drive business value and unlock opportunity while remaining nimble in times of change and greater ESG accountability. Learn more at BloombergLive.com slash SustainableBizSingapore. That's BloombergLive.com slash SustainableBizSingapore.